Well, we have been on a topic of transformation. I think all of you are here today because you want transformation in your life. You want to make some forward momentum in your Christian faith. Uh, I can't imagine why you'd be here if you didn't. Now, you may say, because I'm 12 and my parents made me come. You know, it's one of the house rules, you know. Uh, and my parents had that house rule. Hey, you're, you're going to be in the house of the Lord. And it didn't hurt us any. And it didn't matter who we, we could bring home anybody from school. They could stay the weekend for us. They were coming to the house of the Lord. My brother uh, went to college at the uh, beginning of the 70s, kind of, the, kind of hippie crazy stuff. My oldest brother, and so we, he brought home some of the craziest people and all of them. And, you know, none of them griped about it. They got home-cooked meals. They got their laundry done. Can you imagine that? That's a good mom, isn't it? She took care of them like, it, like they were their own, but they had to be in the house of the Lord. So I want to encourage you, if you're a younger person, you kind of got, felt like you got forced to be here, uh, let go of that. Uh, there, I can promise you, I am experiencing such blessing in God because of a younger person. I decided, you know what, I'm going to go after God. I've never been a place in my life where I said, that was a horrible decision. If I had to do all over again, I would have been a criminal. I would have done drugs. I would have got addicted to stuff. I, I, would, have, I would have, man, if I, if I could have pulled it off, I would have went to prison or done whatever. No, I, I'm happy to be a believer. And he rescued me from so many heartaches and heartbreaks and problems. Yes, I did more than enough knuckleheaded stuff. Yes, I did wrong things. But I can tell you the trajectory of my life was to go after the Lord, and that's such a blessing. So, young people, if you were forced to come today, just next week, don't make them force you. Just say, hey, I'm going to be there because I want to have a life that's full of blessing and full of good, and God will give that and deliver that to you as you go after him. So we're talking about all this transformation that we need to make in our lives to keep moving forward and to experience a blessed life in Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about some essentials, just so we start off, some essentials to our, our walk with the Lord. Uh, first of all, I want to say, you must be born again. And you say, man, you sound like a broken record. Every week you tell us we've got to be born again. Well, that's because it's such a wonderful thing. And I think, Kristen, this was your table, wasn't it, on, on Wednesday? So we'll, we'll bring it up a little. Okay. You must be born again. Because God isn't into the renovation business. Say, so what do you mean by that? He's not taking your old, broken-down life and deciding he's going to, you know, throw a coat of paint on it and put in some new wiring here and something there and something here. No. The promise of the Bible is this, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Darlene likes some of the old houses. My father was a builder. Um, I I've seen them redo old houses. I'll tell you what, have you ever redone an old house? Hold your hand up high if you've ever redone an old house. Is that not a challenge? It is a challenge. So I told Darlene, you find the old house you want, and it has the floor plan you want, we'll go get somebody to draw it out, and we'll build it new. That way everything will be square, everything will be fine, everything will work. Now I get it if it's got historical cool value to it. I totally understand that. But if you just say, I like the look of that, go build it new, everything will be square, you know, the plumbing will work, the electrical will work. Some of these old houses, do you remember them? I was raising some of them. You'd have a room the size of this with one plug-in. You'd go, what? There's one plug-in. Like, what? what's going on? So God's not just renovating us or remodeling us. He's making us new. The second thing is I want to encourage you that the essentials that we need for growth come from the Holy Spirit. We've already studied that out. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, it creates the things that cause us to have forward momentum in our life. The flesh doesn't. The works of the flesh, the acts of the flesh, they, they just cause problems. So you could read that for yourself or go back to the message and listen to that. Uh, Galatians, the fifth chapter. 
I want to remind us that God is working in us. Uh, this is one of my gazillion favorite verses in the Bible, that God is working in us. So Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you. Did you hear that? God is working in you. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Have you given your life to Jesus? Then God's working in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If you got the power to do, to do what pleases him but no desire, that's a problem. If you have the desire and no power, that's a problem. So here we have this promise that God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So today's topic is self-mastery. Darlene was talking to, to me this morning and said, here's some things we need to take care of in our lives. And I said, you are right, and after today's service, we'll never have those problems again. She said, well, didn't it help you while you were working on the sermon? I said, no, I got to deliver it first before it really helps. So we're all growing. I don't think you're going to master everything, but I do know this. We keep moving forward in where we're going in our, our walk with God. And when I talk about self-mastery, I just want you to notice, I'm not talking as the world might talk about it. I'm not telling you, here's the top three self-help books. Go read those, you know, try to improve, try to do this and that. I'm talking about the self-mastery that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, from the, li the God life that's in us that helps us deal with self. And so this theologian, Douglas Moo, defines self-mastery as this. I think this is a great, a great definition. It is the ability of the human being to act entirely on one's own free will without being subject to the whims and pressures of other people. I, I'm serious about this. Uh, some of you got people in your life, you want to go after God, they're not no more interested in you going after God. They'll try to pull you away from that. And so you need to be careful with that. You're not subject to the whims and pressures of other people. You're not subject to the competing philosophies of the world. You're not subject to even your own emotions, which again, Kristen did a great job talking about emotions. They're not evil. They're not bad. They give us a lot of good information. We should look at them, understand them, embrace them, deal with them, move on. God, God gave us those emotions for wonderful reasons, but they aren't good leaders. Your emotions aren't supposed to lead you. So as we move towards self-mastery, there's lots of things I'm going to remind you of today. I've kind of figured out that the Holy Spirit's really good at pinpointing a thing or two that he'll kind of plant in you, and it'll be maybe one of the most important things of the message, so allow him to do that. But one thing I want to remind us of is we have an adversary. The Bible says your adversary, the devil. You have an adversary. There's an enemy of your soul. He wants to withstand anything and everything that you want to do for good. Now, should we be scared of the devil? No. You ever notice that most shows about the devil are about him being big and frightening and we should be scared of him? But the Bible says he's a defeated foe and Jesus soundly defeated him. Should we be scared of him? No. Should we be aware of him? Yes. Yes. Paul, that guy who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, wrote these words. He said, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. In other words, we're not unaware of his schemes. It says, if we're ignorant of his devices or unaware of his schemes, depending upon your translation, one says, he will outwit you. Another, another says he'll take advantage of you. And so we don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to be outwitted. So we're not ignorant of Satan's devices or his schemes. That's actually in 2 Corinthians 2.11. So we want to be aware of his strategies, but not afraid of his strategies. So in our life, we're resisting sin. We're resisting temptation. We've got to master those things and move forward. And the scriptures tell us that it is a struggle for us. 
When people say, well, if you're a Christian, you'll never struggle with sin or temptation again. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this in Hebrews 12, 4. In your struggle against what? Sin. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So there is a struggle for the saint, for the believer, for the Christian. Uh, I think it's Ephesians 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realms. So there's a battle, but we're victorious in Jesus. So we see this struggle all the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis. We're not far into Genesis. We're in the fourth chapter. At the beginning of the fourth chapter, we see this problem. Abel has offered a sacrifice to God, and Cain has offered a sacrifice to God. Now, if this is your first time in church and you're not familiar with the Bible, first of all, we say welcome. We're excited that you're here, so don't feel bad about that. There's always a learning curve to anything. But Adam and Eve had lots of children, but two of them were Cain and Abel. They're probably the most famous, Cain and Abel. And Cain offers an offering, Abel offers an offering. The scripture declares that God accepted the offering of Abel, but rejected the offering of Cain. Now we could say, well, that's not nice, that's mean. No, there's a whole, there's a whole series you could preach on this, but it's not mean of God, because Cain knew exactly what he was supposed to do. But he said, like we do oftentimes, I don't care what God says to do. This is really prominent in our in The world today, it's always been prominent in our culture. Make sure this doesn't take hold of you. There are so many people today that says, I don't want to do what God says to do. I don't want to live the way God says to live. I don't want to say yes to what God says to say yes to. I don't want to say no to what God says to say no to. I'm going to just do me. You know what I mean? You ever heard that phrase? I'm just doing me. And God better accept it. I'm going to do me, and he can accept it. I'm going to let you know a little something about God. He don't have to accept it. He don't have to accept it. You ever see like a police show and sometimes a a criminal will say, this is the truth and you've got to believe me. And every now and then that police officer will say, we ain't got to believe you. Absolutely not. Well, God doesn't have to accept whatever you want to present to him. Cain presented something to God that was incorrect and wrong. So let's look. God Almighty lovingly and graciously comes to counsel Cain like a good father. He comes to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, and he says, Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. There's an exclamation point there, so I gave a little emphasis. Then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. The image of like a lion getting ready to pounce. Sin is crouching at your door. And what is sin eager to do? Sin is eager to what? Control you. Sin is eager to control you. But he says to Cain, but you must subdue it. You must conquer sin. You must subdue it, it, and it must become, or you must become its master. You need to master sin. Now, every time I think about this story, I think this is amazing because Cain was not born again. Jesus had not given his life, not paid the price for sins, not risen from the dead. That's not going to happen for thousands of years. Cain wasn't born again. He was not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here God says to Cain, you can do it. You can master it. Did Cain take God's advice? No. He murdered Abel. 
But God tells Cain he could have mastered it, and we can too. In Proverbs 16, it says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Now, it's interesting. Other translations say, I'll butcher it a little bit, but you get the idea. It's better to be in control of your anger and to guard your spirit, to be in control of your spirit, than a mighty warrior who can conquer a whole city. Think about that. Better is a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. We need to apply that to our lives. See, a lot of mastery of our faith comes from learning to say no. No is not a bad word. We say no to sin. We say no to self. We say no to disobedience. We say no, 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 all, all the time. Now, a lot of people say, what a negative faith to have, that you're saying no all the time. Well, let's look at how God shows this thing working, and there's nothing wrong with saying no. If you say yes to everything, you, you'll be a mess. You got to learn what to say no to. Let me, another little side note. When you say yes to something, that will require you to say no to something else. You can't say yes to everything. You do not have enough time, not energy, enough passion, enough money to say yes to everything. So when you say yes to something, you are saying no to all kinds of things. So you want to make sure your yeses are very good. And God has this system designed that isn't just about no. It's about saying no with a purpose. It's about there being a purpose behind your yeses and a purpose behind your noes. So here's a, a tip number one for self-mastery. Get a big yes burning in you. Get a big yes burning in you. See, I stole that idea from God. Get a big yes in you. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the one who started and finished our faith. For the joy set before him, we're talking about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I want to pause there for a second. Did he like the cross? Was he excited about going to the cross? He said, I can't wait to go be brutally murdered on the cross. No, the scripture reveals to us he did not want to do that. That, that was excruciatingly painful. There's very few uh, ways to execute a person that's any more horrific than crucifixion. So it's one of the worst ways to be killed. And the whole idea of crucifixion is it's, it's designed for the worst of the worst criminals and it is designed to immoralize you on every level. Physically, they beat you uh, to an inch of your life before they take you to the cross. And then you're familiar with it, I'm sure, crucifixion. By the way, we kindly paint loincloths on everyone who's crucified. They were not crucified that way. They were crucified naked. It was meant to publicly humiliate you. So there's humiliation and shame. It's painful emotionally and mentally and physically, spiritually, in every dimension that you can think of. That's what the cross is like. And Jesus didn't say, hooray, can't wait to go to the cross. Didn't say that. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Scripture, if we read it all, says he also knew that that act would bring many people into relationship with God. And so for the joy set before him, he endured. He had a great big yes burning in him. So was Jesus' focus on the pain? 
was his focus on the shame. No, it was focused on the yes, the yes. He had to get a big yes. And you'll find this pattern in the Bible all the time. Now, old school parenting, uh, some of you were raised with old school parenting. Some of you were old school parents. Old school parenting kind of worked like this. Parent would say to the child, don't do this, but make sure you do that. Now, children have a magical, endless question when you tell them to do anything. And so you say, don't do this and do this, and a child would say, has anybody got a good guess? Why? And so then, old school parenting, the answer to why was this, because I told you so, you know, because I told you so. Now, in fairness, maybe old school parents did answer the question three or four times, and then finally said, time out, I'm not going to answer this 3,000 times, I'm not going to respond to why, so it finally got to, because I told you so. Now, I think of our God, and I think he's so gracious because he could have easily said, here's what I want you to do, here's what I don't want you to do. And then we would have responded, why? And he could have said, because I told you so, period. I'm God of the universe. Do what I tell you to do. I don't want any back talk. I don't want any, any lip. I don't know if that's still saying anymore. I don't want any lip out of you. You know, just do what I tell you to do. But our God says, here's what I want you to do. And if you'll do it, I will reward you. Isn't that interesting? In the Old Testament, he tells his people, he said, if you're willing and obedient. Now, they might have said to themselves, I'm not really that willing, and I don't really want to be obedient. But he said, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat and enjoy the best of the land. And then they went, hmm, that's a pretty big yes. I do want to enjoy the best of the land, so I think I'm going to be willing and obedient. It's interesting how enough information can, can move you. There's a story about a guy that they needed everybody unanimously in this little company to sign this new insurance policy before it could be put in force. And one guy just stubbornly didn't want to sign it, didn't want to be told what to do, and so, but it had to be unanimously signed. One day the boss sat down and said, you know, why aren't you signing it? He said, I don't know, I just don't want to sign it. He said, okay, let me put it to you like this. If you don't sign this, you're fired. The guy reached over, slid the paper, signed it, and handed it back, and he said, why all the struggle? Why, why did you sign it today? He said, because no one ever quite put it to me that way before. I thought, okay, I get that. But God's always saying, I'll bless you. In the New Testament, we see this. James, the brother of Jesus, writes these words, that if you hear my word, hear the word of God, and put it into practice, you'll be blessed in everything you do. What a promise. Again, he could have said, Hear my word and do my word because I told you to. But he said, I've got a plan. I want you to be blessed. You have nothing God's trying to steal from you, nothing God wants to take from you. He's God. He's doing really well, by the way. God's doing really well. And so he doesn't have to get me or you anything from us. He wants to bless us just like parents want to bless their children. If you had good parents, they wanted to bless you. And so God is a wonderful parent, and he wants to bless us. And so we find that pattern. Do what's right, and you'll be blessed. Do what's right, and I will bless you, the Lord says. So, you and I need self-mastery. You know that, right? I mean, all of us here are saying, I've made some progress in some areas of my life, but there's some areas of my life I haven't made much traction at all, and I'd like to get some forward momentum. We all need self-mastery. But we have to be careful we don't just float downstream like any old dead fish can do, or piece of driftwood. We need to fight the current and head the direction of the blessings of God. So here's a couple more pointers for self-mastery. First of all, 
don't start too big. Now, I want to say this. If you have the capability to start big and can do it, then go for it. If you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. I haven't even ran around the block, but I think I'm going to run a marathon. And you can do it, then have at it. But most people can't do that. So we start too big. Maybe you've heard a, a powering, powerful, and inspiring message by somebody who's a master at prayer. And it's legitimate, and it's true, and it's wonderful. And this person tells you how they get up every day, spend an hour with the Lord, how life-changing it is, how wonderful it is. I get it. I, I would believe that. It's 7 o'clock in the evening. You finish this up. You're all wired up. You're all amped up. You say to yourself, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and pray, pray an hour a day. And so you set your alarm for 5 a.m. You ain't never even seen 5 a.m. You'll know what 5 a.m. even looks like on the clock. You set that. You're the person that you set your alarm for first one for 6, the second one for 7, and then once the 7 goes off, you hit snooze five times. I can tell you how that, that related, huh? So I can tell you, you're probably not going to succeed at that plan because it's too big of a plan. Maybe you could say, you know what, instead of hitting the snooze for the fourth time, I'm going to lazily and sleepily pray for five minutes because that's how long my little snooze thing is, five minutes. That'd be a good place to start and then gain momentum. So don't start too big. Another thing, don't give up. Don't quit. See, what happens is we quit because of shame and condemnation that's created from failure. But don't quit. When we fail at something over and over and over again, we get shamed. We feel like a failure. We feel defeated. So we just say, you know, I'm just going to quit. Maybe you shouldn't quit. Maybe you just need a different plan of action. Maybe you just need a different, just like if you try to get up at 5 a.m. 100 times and failed, you'd say, I'm going to quit trying to have a prayer life. Don't quit trying to have a prayer life. Just come up with a different strategy for having a prayer life. Don't quit. Just keep going. This week, Darlene and I were watching some football, and we saw Tom Brady set a new record this week. It's not like the guy hasn't set enough records. He holds almost every record for a quarterback that can be held. He set a brand new record this week. He is now the all-time number one quarterback with the most sacks in NFL history. Okay. Well, yeah, because in this neck of the woods, people, now we're Christians, so we don't hate Tom Brady. We deeply dislike him. And so, because the Colts always had to make their way through the Patriots, uh, Tom Brady was at the helm, and we found that very difficult to do, so we decided not to like him. But Tom Brady set this new record, the most sacked quarterback in NFL history. Now, if you're not familiar with football, sack means you got tackled. Court, no one wants to get tackled, but quarterbacks especially don't want to get tackled. They're supposed to have a line that protects them from getting tackled because they're supposed to catch, see what's going on in the field. They're supposed to make the play, hand off the ball, pass the ball, do something spectacular to help their team win. And you don't help your team win when you're eating dirt. And so he has the, he's the number one most sacked quarterback in NFL history. Now, if we stop right there, we might say, what a loser. Okay, but I want to tell you some other things about Tom Brady. Like him or hate him, uh, excuse me, like him or dislike him deeply, uh, I want you to know this about Tom Brady. He's appeared in 10 Super Bowls. 10. That's crazy. 10. 
He has won seven of those ten. Seventy percent of the time he goes to the Super Bowl, he wins. He has seven Super Bowl championship rings. That's crazy. The closest person to him has four. He almost has twice as many as the closest person to him. So I want to say this. Don't get depressed. Don't get shamed. Don't get condemned by how many times you've been sacked. Get up and play again. One day you might have a bunch of wins because you just kept getting back up. All the great baseball players who are noted for their home runs are also noted for their strikeouts. Babe Ruth used to be called the strikeout king because he was always hitting for the fence. And sometimes he did, and sometimes he walked back to the dugout, struck out. Just keep going up to bat. Just keep pushing the ball down the field. See, in, in football, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's a 100 it's a yards that you're trying to make it. And you don't have to make it all at once. You get four tries to go 10 yards. So the goal is to get that 10 yards, you get four more tries. Just keep going. Keep, that's where the term comes. Keep pushing the ball down the field. It's a great analogy for us spiritually. Keep pushing the ball down the field. You say, but I, I get sacked. I get tackled. I get beat up. I get it. Now, these verses aren't going to be real encouraging to you, but they're still Bible verses. And James, the brother of Jesus, writes in James 3, 2, we all, hear that word all, I don't have an overhead for it, but we all, it's James 3, 2, we all, that's every one of us, we all stumble. We all stumble. That's bad enough, but there's more to the verse. We all stumble in many ways. Well, thanks a lot, but that's the Bible. We all stumble in many ways, so you get back up and, and move on. Now, I don't know about everybody, but I know it's about guys when we stumble or fall down, our goal is to get up as fast as possible so nobody sees us. You know, we, it's just like you fall down. It's like you try to get up and you look around. Did anybody see that? Well, we ought to be like that spiritually. If you fall down, get up fast. Hopefully no one saw it and keep moving on. Keep going forward. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A righteous person may fall seven times, but they rise again. The rest of the verse says, a tragedy or a calamity will wipe out a wicked person. One of them will wipe out a wicked person, but a righteous man keeps getting back up and getting back up and getting back up. That's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's keep getting back up. I mean, I've failed a lot of times trying to do stuff. You've probably failed a lot of times. And I say keep trying. Keep trying unless it's just something you shouldn't be doing. I mean, if the Lord whispers to you, hey, knucklehead, you're, this is not something I want you to even do, then, you know, pick something else. But as I said earlier, maybe it's not what you're trying to do. Maybe it's the method in which you're trying to do it in. The back to the prayer. 5 a.m. hasn't worked for you 100 times. Come up with a different strategy. Come up with evening prayer or noontime prayer or different strategy. Don't, don't say, I guess God doesn't want me to have a prayer life. Guess what? God wants you to have a prayer life. But you can come up with a strategy that works for you, and we're all different. Proverbs 24 is a beautiful verse. It, um, I love it in all the different translations. In, in most translations, say, it says, by wisdom a house is built. We, we are the house of the Lord. It goes on to say, 
that it can be filled with rare and beautiful treasures. You get a picture of this beautiful home that you walk in, you step from room to room, you go, oh my goodness, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that gorgeous? Look at that painting. Look at that furniture. Look at this. And, you just, and, and that's the way our life should be before the Lord. We just keep growing and we keep filling up our, our house, our spiritual house, with, with rare and beautiful treasures. But I want to read it to you out of the Living Bible. It says it a little differently because it can apply to anything. The Living Bible says in Proverbs 24, 3 through 4, any enterprise, did you catch that? Any enterprise, any enterprise, developing a prayer life, overcoming sin, working in your business, whatever, any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. Any enterprise. What enterprise do you want to accomplish? What bad habit, what addiction, what, what struggle, what, what sin that you just keep, can't seem to break? What one of those would you like to break? What? That's an enterprise. I'm, I'm going to be enterprising here. I'm going to fix this thing. I want to say this through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We're... we're Miserable accomplishing stuff in our own steam without the Lord. So I want to encourage you. Have a get back up spirit. I had this once. I still got the little thing. It was a little clown. You want those little clown blow up things with the weight in the bottom? And if you, you ever have one of those as a little kid, you, you punch that clown, it goes back and it comes right back up smiling. You know, you bump it, punch it back up, back up. We just need to bounce back up smiling and go on. Have a get-back-up spirit. I want to encourage you, have a get-back-up spirit. Refuse to be knocked down. Now, here's a little action list for us to, to work on this week and the rest of our lives. Oh, my goodness, I'm not sure I've ever said this before. Be born again. Be born again and infused with the power of God. Second, build your spiritual muscles. We're always trying to build all kinds of other muscles. That's fine. The Bible says, Paul told Timothy, Physical exercise is of some value. But exercise yourself into godliness, for it holds value for all things. Isn't that interesting? It holds value for all things, holding promise for this life and the life to come. And that's an incredible promise. That spiritual health and vitality has promise in this life and the life to come, and it's valuable for every area of life. So build your spiritual muscles. Proverbs also tells us that we should guard our spirit with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. The third thing is focus on your big yes. You may have to pause and think. You may have to take some time. See, I'm shocked how you and I, and I'm guilty of this too, we don't want to really take time to do anything. You might have to sit down. What if you had to sit down for a weekend and think, what would be a big yes for me? What, what should be the big yes to motivate me to do what I should be doing anyway with the Lord's help? So focus on finding that big yes. If it takes you two minutes or two days or the next few months to think about it, do so. And then celebrate those little wins. Remember, back to the football analogy, you got to go 10 yards in four tries. And so when you go three yards, celebrate it. You go four more yards, celebrate it. The next one's a five-yarder, you get to start all over again. Just keep celebrating those little wins. Don't, don't miss them. Celebrate every little win you get. We need celebration in our lives. Five, be a condemnation killer. I really don't want you to spend two minutes in condemnation because it's worthless. It's worthless. You've done wrong. 
you know it's wrong, you can make an adjustment, and to, to fiddle around for a week, miserable, not moving forward because I'm condemned. And then we have this crazy thought. I have to show God how awful I feel, so I'm going to be totally unproductive for God and for myself and for the kingdom. For But that's a pretty bad sin. I better do that for like two weeks. And God said, why? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. So get up. I'm not saying go live like the devil. I'm saying get up. You already know it was wrong. Dust yourself off and go on. Go on. Don't waste a day, an hour, a minute in condemnation. It's not for the believer. Christians aren't supposed to live in condemnation. And then the sixth thing is when you fall down, get back up. When you fall down, just get back up. Dust yourself off. Go back on. I love what I heard John Maxwell say one time. He says, when you fall down, pick something up down there. I thought, that's good, that's good advice. If you fall down, straighten up the rug while you're down there, then get back up. When you fall down, get back up. You and I, through Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to master sin. We are called to master life. We are not supposed to be mastered by sin. We're not supposed to be mastered by life. We're supposed to master it, but I remind you, it is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that makes that possible.